Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schaus. Episode number six, The Rise of Moscow. Alexander Nevsky was dead, and Yaroslav of Tver, his son, was in charge, or nominally, at the will of the Mongol masters. Grumblings began almost immediately due to his overzealous crushing of the mere hint of rebellion by his people. The cities of Vladimir and Novgorod, under one prince, were beginning to snipe at each other, feeling uncomfortable being allied. This was especially true with the always independent-minded Novgorodians. Yaroslav saw the writing on the wall. The people of Novgorod were chafing under the rule of someone they did not see as one of their own. He tried hard to ingratiate himself with the people, as he did not want to lose this truly important and lucrative tax base. But try as he could, it was to no avail. The leaders of the people of Novgorod wanted Yaroslav out. In 1269, the leaders of Novgorod sent an emissary to the seat of power of the Golden Horde and pled their case. The person who was to do this was none other than Basil, Yaroslav's own younger brother. Basil came to the Khan with a large load of money, no doubt provided to him by the wealthy merchants of Novgorod, which he used to bribe him and his advisors. The bribes, while not entirely successful in removing Yaroslav, caused his power to diminish greatly, as the Khan weakened the rule of the prince he himself had put on the throne. The bribery of the Khan of the Mongols made it totally apparent to all of Russia that no prince was anything more than a puppet of the real and total power that was the Golden Horde. The people had little to no respect for the princes anymore. Instead, they felt total disgust for these pretenders to power. At this point, in 1270, we enter the real dark ages of Russia. It wasn't until 1480, 210 years later, when the Russians finally threw off the Mongol yoke and they emerged back on the international scene. The real tragedy was how Russia, the once global trading partner whose sons and daughters had married into the royal families of England, France, and Sweden, were now isolated from Europe not allowed to witness nor partake of the renaissance that was sweeping through much of Western world. It was as if an impenetrable wall had been drawn down, entrapping the Russian people in their misery. This separation was to continue to some degree until Peter the Great dragged the Russian people out of their isolation some 400-plus years later. But there was one group in Russia that really didn't suffer very much during the time of Mongol control. It was the church. They were exempt from taxation. Their churches and monasteries grew to such an extent that peasants were almost forced to till the land for them. The Russian Orthodox Church's wealth grew to new heights, while the common people wallowed in poverty, misery, and despair. My next Slapshot, or short podcast, will be on how the church was to eventually own one-third of the Russian landscape. I'm going to focus on one man who was largely responsible, but he was a pious man, St. Sergius of Radonez, and how during this desperate time he brought hope and spirit to many in Russia. Back to Yaroslav. Now he's in the midst of battling the claims of Dmitri and Vasily for the princedom of Novgorod when the Metropolitan stepped in and mediated the situation, with Yaroslav giving up his title to Dmitri. His disappointment and anger were short-lived as he died in 1271. 
Now I could list the numerous claimants to the different grand princeships of Russia from 1271 for the next few years, but since this is a Russian rulers podcast and few of them were true rulers aside from the Golden Horde, I'll bypass many of these trivial people. Instead, I'll focus on the rising of the little backwater town of Moscow. During Kiev's heyday, Moscow, if it even existed, was of little or no importance, as its first mention in any written work was around 1170. Alexander Nevsky's youngest son, Daniel, was made Prince of Moscow in 1263. While he never really knew his father, as he was only two when Alexander died, he still could share the paternal legacy. Over the years, he watched his warring, warring brothers decimate each other. As Moscow was such an out-of-the-way town, none of his brothers or uncles wanted it or viewed him as a threat. Their focus was on the principalities of Vladimir and Novgorod. Daniel, though, was a bright and enlightened leader who enticed farmers and merchants to his growing town, especially those who were tired of all the familial wars going on elsewhere. Soon, under Daniel's leadership, Moscow was no longer a backwater hick town. It was a center of trade sitting on the Moskva River at the headwaters of the mighty Volga. At the same time, the city of Tver was also beginning to make a name for itself. The two cities were to begin a rivalry between each other, hoping to take advantage of the strife amongst the older, more established cities. This will come to a head in next week's podcast. Daniel is credited with building the first church and monastery in Moscow, which was to have grand implications in the future. He also sided with his brothers, Michael of Tver and Ivan Perislav, in their battle to gain the Principality of Novgorod from Andrei. By helping Ivan, who was childless when he died, he gained all of his land, which greatly increased the size and prestige of Moscow. But at the age of 42, in 1303, Daniel, the man credited with making Moscow a power to be dealt with, died, leaving his son Yuri to continue on. Then, as in the case so often at Napanaj, Russia, Michael of Tver came in and demanded his supposed right to the seat as an elder to Yuri, and so the real Grand Prince of Moscow. With the greater wealth being behind Michael from Vladimir, Tver, and to a lesser extent Novgorod, and bribes being handed out to the Mongols being larger than anything Yuri could afford, Michael was given the title. But Yuri didn't give up. He was incredibly shrewd and began to court the wealthy Orthodox Church. Metropolitan Peter took a liking to Yuri, as did some wealthy and disgruntled Novgorodian merchants. So when the local Khan Tokta died in 1312, the backroom machinations and the bribes began to heat up. Now before we get back to the bickering of Yuri and Michael, I want to talk a little bit about the state of the Golden Horde and the Mongols in general. Back in 1242, the Mongols had smashed into Europe, crushing armies in Poland, Germany, and Hungary, going all the way to the Adriatic Sea. They were an unstoppable behemoth, which seemed ready to take on the rest of the continent. But there was trouble brewing. Batu, concerned with internal politics, decided to retrench, moving back to Russia. But the real problem that many believed stopped the invaders was the death of the great Khan Ugede. 
Internal squabbling began to slowly eat away at the cohesiveness of the Mongols. Now, originally, see that the rule of the Russians was based out of Mongolia, but eventually and gradually the Golden Horde, first a part of the Mongol state, but later as the years passed, an independent one, was cap whose capital was Sarai. They're also not a very organized ruler, despite everything we've heard about them. The Mongols in the long run brought with them not leadership by rules, but intimidation through anarchy, cruelty, lawlessness, and corruption. They were able to conquer whatever they wanted on horseback, but they could not rule from the saddle. One of my favorite quotes about the Mongols was by Alexander Pushkin. He said that the Mongols were Arabs without Aristotle and algebra, or any other cultural assets. By the time of Michael and Yuri, there were cracks beginning to appear in the power structure of the Horde. Now, Yuri, he had a personality that the new Khan Uzbek took a liking to. Yuri liked to hunt, drink, and enjoy himself, whereas Michael was more serious and stoic, which really didn't enamor him to the fun-loving Mongols. Not only this, but the wily Yuri courted Uzbek's sister, whom he later married. With this family tie in place, Michael lost his title, and Yuri was given Moscow back. Then Yuri, emboldened by the marriage, attacked Michael and tried to finish him off, but surprisingly, he lost. Michael captured Yuri's wife during the battle, along with other relatives. Unluckily for Michael, Yuri's wife, favorite sister of Uzbek, died while in his care. While it is highly unlikely that she was murdered by Michael, giving, given her relationship, this was something the Khan could not stand for. Michael would pay for this with his life in a particularly brutal fashion. Forced to carry heavy wooden boxes tied to his body behind a Mongol hunting party, Michael, former Grand Prince of Moscow, was eventually trampled to death when he couldn't keep up. Dmitri, Michael's son, was infuriated wanted to make sure he was given his rightful title as Grand Prince of Tver, and made his way to pay homage to Uzbek and Sarai, which had gone from being just a small tent city to an international center of commerce, which enticed merchants from as far away as Venice. Dmitri spread rumors to the Khan that Yuri was embezzling money from the Mongols. Uzbek, seeing this was as a way, this was a way to continue to weaken the Russians under his yoke, let the dispute simmer. Then, Dmitri was given the title of Grand Prince of Vladimir, which was a powerful position, as it was also the title given to the head tax collector for the Horde. Dmitri was still not entirely happy with the situation, as he also wanted the Muscovite Principality to come under his control. He also wanted revenge on Yuri. Dmitri returned to Sarai when he found out that Yuri was headed there to refute his allegations. While in the capital, he confronted Yuri, where in a fit of rage he stuck a dagger in his chest. For this transgression of daring to attack a grand prince within the palace of the Khan, Dmitri met the same fate as his father, being trampled to death. Alexander, brother of Dmitri, took over, but within two years, fled to Lithuania after proving totally unfit to fulfill his duties. In came the younger brother of Yuri, Ivan Danilovich. Next episode, 
I will introduce you to Ivan I, also known as Ivan Kalita or Ivan Moneybags. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the website, russianrulers.podhoster.com. Please leave a comment, make a suggestion, ask a question, and as always, das vidanya e spasiba bolshoya.